Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast. Hello. Before we begin, Sick Forgiveness is raising money for a book project, Mental Health Ki Hunnahe, to raise awareness of mental health issues for Sikh and Punjabi communities, complete with translations. You can donate on the GoFundMe page and the link is in the show notes. So even if you cannot, please share it on social media and help us tackle mental health stigmas in Sikh and Punjabi communities. Today, we bring you a two-part special. This is part two of two. Sandy speaks to four people working in various mental health services and the NHS. Dr. Mandeep Ranja, a clinical psychologist, Charanjit Kaur, a psychotherapist and counselling psychologist trainee, Jyoti Kaur, an educational psychologist and PhD researcher, and myself, a counselling psychologist. We discuss our thoughts and feelings around COVID-19, the effects of what's happened, what may happen moving forward, coping techniques and strategies to help us through this time. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Jyoti Kaur is with us, a educational psychologist and PhD researcher. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Um, tell us a bit more about what you do and how you became a part of um, the mental health industry. Okay. So at the moment, I work as an assistant child and educational psychologist for a council. Um, and I also am a PhD researcher, um, where in which I work with young people and I explore children who have got um, genetic um, changes in the form of structural genetic changes. Um, and I look at um, their cognitive, motor and behavioural development. Part of that, I also look at their psychological development. Um, their sort of psychological strengths and difficulties which manifest sort of mental health um, and well-being factors as well um, so I transitioned um, sort of into mental health and working with seek forgiveness more so as um, an interest a personal interest of mine um, from working in and, and being a psychologist um, mental health is something that I do cover um, but I cover it alongside other factors as well, such as learning difficulties, um, you know, learning styles, um, and then mental health and well-being is is a strand of um, I also work on, and it's something that I wanted to explore more. I wanted to help um, my community, um, so I can completed the mental health first aid course to help sort of situate my learning in a little bit more of a standardized fashion really and um, it was a bit of a different angle from um the way psychology sees things as well um so yeah that's how i've come to the to the mental health side of things um but my background is in health sort of clinical psychology and child development um but obviously central um to all of those things are successful mental health and well-being so I think it's the, it's it's core um from from child development right up, right up until older age development as well and how do you think obviously we're currently in a global pandemic where coronavirus is impacting everyone um everywhere how do you think it's impacting the younger generation, young adults and children? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so at the moment, I think it's very, very relevant um, for children and young people. Um, I'm actually working on a project at work trying to support that transition. So I've situated my transition work into um, sort of four key areas. So I've situated in them into a sort of theoretical model, which 
allows us to see the different systems that situate around a child's development. So the child itself is a system, so it's how the child sees themselves. The child also interacts with other systems, so they interact with school, um, their parents. So how are we mediating that relationship? How is that relationship affected by the current situation? Then we look at community structures, which is sort of the next layer. How are children affected? How is their community affected? The neighbourhood? Can, for example, play opportunities, friendship opportunities. And then we're also looking things on a, on a wider sort of systemic level like on a, a council impact or on a legal impact so I've situated my work in the sort of how are children going to be affected for their exams Ofsted assessments so for me I think there's a cascading impact on children from how it affects them emotionally socially sort of physically um, it how it affects their well-being how it will permeate and impact relationships obviously they're with the same person every single day although that's really healthy um, often it can be difficult um, because they haven't had chance to interact with other other individuals and in the case of um, maybe some areas where children may be facing deprivation it might be difficult to um, fulfill prime fulfill sort of primary needs of food and adequate you know shelter um, and and resources also being able to access technology because we're moving towards a virtual world um, and then obviously factors of actually having um, to be engaged with education as well which is a key key factor here because I think children would be away from formal education in a total of about three to four months which is a significant period of learning time and um, I know some children that are in the early years um, and I've just spoken to, uh, to, to families where it's actually hard trying to create that sort of um, that learning experience that a child would get um, in, in a nursery setting, which is running around, playing, interacting, you know, that sort of multi-sensory experience is really challenged, really, within the home setting. So I think it's going to have a cascading effect on key areas of your child's development, socially, physically, mentally, academically. But what we need to do is focus on um, understanding those factors and the wider systemic factors so we can help that transition for young people back into education. So it's almost easing that. Um, so that's something I'm interested in at the moment. What kind of things could those living with young adults and children do at home in order to make those small steps to try and bring that normality back because as you said you know we don't know how long students or young adults or children are going to be off from learning and being at school or university what kind of things do you think that they could implement at home in mm -hmm. order to continue that learning development because you know we're still growing they're still growing yeah their brain is still growing we're growing as adults to learn how to adapt. They're growing physically, emotionally, and trying to be, their body is changing, which they have no control of. So there's a whole another level of experiences they're going to be experienced, which is going to be completely different to many other siblings that they live with. Right. So what kind, is there any tips that you could give to maybe parents or young adults that are living with siblings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So at the moment, I think there's a lot of free resources that were going around. Um, so I have 
I actually have a whole list of different um, free courses, learning resources um, that could be accessible. I'm happy to share them with you afterwards. Um, often schools um, are sending sort of work packs home, um, which have been really useful. Um, but more on a parenting sort of family level, I think um, trying to incorporate a learning activity into the day is really is essential. Trying to promote something where they're reflecting on their emotional well-being is essential. Probably um, an element of exercise in the day, I'd say, is essential. Um, trying to almost create a weekly routine so it almost mirrors that of a school day where there's still structure and there is time for play and um, there is some sort of routine and that will help the transition as well because obviously at the, par at the moment parents are probably facing challenges like we all are. Children are then obviously going to be dealing with the, the, the transition decoding the parents the parents sort of feelings and then just also adapting to this sort of strange new world that we're in or new system that we're in not being able to see grandparents etc so the biggest thing i would say is routine and um, being able to promote a sort of safe space for children and um, so Maybe they might just need somewhere which is not the living room. Maybe they need like a special little den or a little area of the house, which is their little quiet space. And I think even now I'm learning um, as an adult, really, that sometimes I just need a five minutes break and I go to a different room because otherwise you kind of are in that whole thing where you're with everyone every minute of the day and you can start getting on each other's toes. So definitely a nice little safe breakout space and that can be for children and adults as well probably offering reassurance to each other and i think we often miss that and i think um we need to have that element of like it's okay and it's gonna be okay and the biggest thing that i've done to help me is not watch the news or limit my news usage um so yeah i kind of really try to just check in either on Twitter or on, you know, on, on in, the, in, in the evening or something. But I do not engage in every headline that comes every couple of hours because it, it is too stress provoking, I think. So we need to offer reassurance, I think, to any age, right up until teenagers. I know some teenagers who are really affected by the current system who obviously find it difficult to transition to the idea that, okay, we're not doing our A-levels and then we're on predicted grades, so stress levels are quite high because obviously we're based on teacher, teacher um, evaluations and on the new changes. So there's a lot, a lot of um, distress going on. Um, and obviously these decisions will impact children, uh, young people's university options and everything that cascades on from there. So reassurance is key, safe space. Also being adaptable. I think the biggest thing is we have to have that anything does go sort of attitude. Sometimes we might need to be a little bit more, okay, is that something you really want to eat? Okay, I'll make it. Or is that something you really want to do? Okay, I'll meet you halfway. It's about giving children something a little bit back. Um, obviously, things are different. They are challenging. It's hard to readily and easily go to the shop as we normally would do without queuing and everything, but which is all understandable. So I think probably um, just incorporating fun activities. There's a lot of cool things on Pinterest, um, on YouTube, lots of like create 
cool like activities which are also like stimulating cognitively and the motor skills uh, gross motor skills there's loads out there um and i'm happy to sort of collate something if need be um so yeah i definitely think just being a bit more adaptable to the unstructured nature and i know it's difficult when parents are also still working at home as well but that that's where the routine element might come in um and then yeah i and i just think a lot of this sort of um talking and maybe emotions jar or these sort of positivity jars or giving children something to be looking forward to to keep their morale morale high and just to keep them thinking that this is not it forever and I think it's easy for us to to get caught in that mindset so I think constantly developing or if you have teenagers trying to get them to do online courses so they're still learning um reading a book try and read a book every few days or every week and then maybe make a, write a book review so every activity maybe turn into a learning activity um but there is some really good resources online as well but um how important is it um like now because families are home and individuals are home even those who have been self-isolating students who have had to stay in their accommodations and not be able to go home how important is it for them to still communicate and connect with one another just virtually but also within their family within their homes because as you know most South Asian families don't always have that strong communication skill especially talking openly and freely and now it's kind of a situation where they can't go out and see their friends they can't go out and see a counsellor or a therapist if they do yeah. How do they manage those feelings now in this pandemic? Mm -hmm. I think um, just, you're completely right. I think definitely I've been speaking to people who have had similar experiences where they're so used to that work lifestyle or that work lifestyle and then going out with friends socially in the evening that they actually never had that foundation or family bond necessarily because everyone's moved on so much. It, you know, lives have moved on so now you're all sat together, you're a bit like, okay, what do we do now? But what I'm um, seeing or hearing um, that's working are these shared activities, whether or not it's gardening or working on some sort of collective project where everybody's involved. Um, and I think if there's one person or one family member that really tries to promote that, it will initiate some change slowly, hopefully, to everybody else. I know it's hard, um, obviously, initiating conversations where maybe they didn't really happen before. But I think if there's one family member, maybe the youngest or the one who's um, a bit more able to access technology, they could start to teach the elder generation how to engage with computers and iPads and whatnot, and also be that person who is responsible for that check-in or responsible for going online and finding family activities or family recipes and whatnot so maybe if we allocate one person in in the house to try and take that responsibility and to really push it um because often it is hard to try and change that family culture and if it's never we've never really been in this situation before so obviously there is a change to the family structure and you kind of have to make it work um, because we've not really got any choice and I think it gets harder 
the longer we leave it like if you know it can because we're all on we're constantly in the same house together so you need to try and promote that that positivity where possible but maybe allocating one person um to look at different ways and strategies might might be useful um and definitely keeping yourself talking to people i know a lot of people are doing weekly check-ins so every monday they're speaking to maybe their university friends tuesday their school friends wednesday they're you know other group of friends and i think keeping that structure gives you a little bit of normality um so definitely um as much as you can connect um i think there's ways to play virtual games with each other um you know like board games and i think yeah or it's just a way to, to to keep in touch as much as you can really and and also check in with people that you haven't probably checked in with for a while um and obviously it's so nice when we pass it on so if i was to check in with somebody and then that person does the same thing we've created this chain of like just checking in on people and hopefully it'll it'll help someone out there how has um covid and this this scenario of working from home impacted you as a professional but also as a person mm -hmm. so yeah in in the one hand um it's been difficult to carry out my work duties because my work does involve um seeing children and young people in school um so my interaction with you know schools um teachers you know coordinators has been limited so the work that i would do directly has been affected in, in in that direct work but we're trying to do whatever we can now over the phone and where it permits um so we're still continuing with our daily duties and the pieces of casework that we had it's just difficult to obviously always act access or, or work with a young person one-to-one -one because they're not in school so that work is sort of slow at the moment but we're doing what we can to liaise with the relevant professionals surrounding and um, to make sure we're still um supporting where possible um and on a personal level i found it fairly difficult i think to be able to adapt to that a little bit because obviously if the nature of the workout is very you know on site it's very interacting with different professionals it has been difficult to 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 sort of shift my mindset to the work mindset i think that took about a week to just get used to this new way of working um and then because work work has been slow it's been time for um cpd training reading and so yeah i think it did there was a bit of an adjustment period when all of the everything first came about um and we're still continuing as best as we can um and i also just think i think i'm trying to keep myself busy um reading and learning as much as i can um and if it's not learning within work time i'm doing craft things on the evening or learning a new hobby or something so I, I am one of those people who likes to get the best out of the day and that's what kind of shields me from um, everything that's going on really. Um, it helps to situate things a little bit easier by keeping yourself busy. Do you think um, communities and specifically South Asian communities will be more welcoming to talk about mental health within their households and within their circles of friends or communities they live in now yeah hopefully there might be i think the fact that we've cut out a lot of the 
um, contexts that would promote um, opportunities for social interactions. So, for example, religious institutions, you know, Gudware, Mandad, we can't access them. And they often used to be um, a place, obviously, for spiritualness and religion, but also a social element for, for the older generation where they would they would go on a daily basis. And I think that um, as a result, I know within my own circumstances, a lot of elderly people I know are now accessing or improving on their phone calling skills, um, which is fine, which is good. Um, but I do think that they, just through conversations, I do think that they are finding it challenging. Like, you know, they can't engage with others. They can't see others. So I do think they are talking about their feelings, but I don't think they're necessarily classifying it as I'm talking about my mental health at the moment. I think it is something that's just happening. Um, and yeah, I think it is happening, but maybe if we kind of put, we kind of steer individuals in the direction of this is healthy and we should talk about it more when you know with and without this situation that would be real good progress as well but yeah I am thinking I do um know people are talking about their feelings and how difficult it is difficult it is you know not seeing people and how it makes them feel but whether or not people are saying I'm talking about my mental health now it, it is it's a different one so maybe that's something that um there's not necessarily a label for it um in our community so then they're talking about it but not directly talking about it yeah yeah I, I i do think it's like a common like oh i feel really like this today and then it's like okay great like this is brilliant um for discussion like have you felt like this before like da, da, da. i think that this this sort of change to normality has been um, a sort of shock to the system so people are feeling different and they are sort of um reframing and reflecting on their emotions but um yeah, maybe this is a good starting point for, for reflection a few weeks later down the line um, and saying, oh, you know how you felt like this. This is how you would describe, you know, this sort of emotion because often individuals might find it difficult to know an emotion or to label it um, without reflection. So it's hard to know you're experiencing something if you're not really thinking about it you just go with it and maybe the fact that people have had time to think now it's been a reflective process so maybe people's perspectives might be different how do you think after you know, lockdown has been um lifted and we have time to go back to some form of normality do you think there's a way of for some children it might be difficult to get back into a routine of socializing mm -hmm. and they might find that that their understanding of social distancing might be different to others do you think there's a way that now maybe we should be having those conversations of social distancing is only for now and it shouldn't impact them if they're socializing when they go back to school do you think there could be some form of mm -hmm. I, I, what yeah. I'm basically trying to say is, is there a way of preventing children or young adults from isolating themselves when they go back to mm -hmm. normality, whenever that may be? I think maybe then that's where open conversations and 
creating the social relationships virtually maybe come in um, is making sure that you still got healthy relationships with your friends and your family within this sort of distancing um, protocol virtually that's fine um, whereas in terms of what's going to happen I think it's probably better to see how it goes because we don't know because I know there's some schools I heard abroad that are still enforcing the social distancing rule I think it was uh-huh. Germany but um, within school and then you have to play with the same children at break time and um, so we don't know what it's going to look like for us here in the UK so I think maybe the less we discuss what it might be like the better I think it's probably better to just focus on now but promote the idea that you know let's see how it goes we don't know but whatever the government say we have to go with but it'll be okay and I think it's more so not focusing on the specifics for now but probably reassuring children and young people that it will be okay. Um, And that's something that I'm doing with sort of younger family members is just reassuring them like, it's okay. Like whatever happens with the teacher grades, um, there's opportunity to retake or there's opportunity for us to speak to the teacher. Like I think the fact that nobody knows um, is we're sort of all in it together, that it's better that we just sort of situate ourselves in the current moment and say, it'll be okay and it's having that sort of open-minded approach um and yeah let's I just think if we all sort of try and keep as positive as possible and try and reassure children and young people that come on it's only for now things will get better but sort of work on that positivity and that resilience while we're in this moment it will cascade to when we're out because we would have formulated that strong sense of understanding that it will be okay and even if it isn't okay it'll still be okay so trying to build them a a way to be resilient to uncertainty because they were weren't expecting something like this to happen and they've managed with it yeah. And they've adapted to it. So there's a way that they can adapt to anything in the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's now it's it's knowing that, okay, this was very unexpected and you're managing really well. If anything, after this, it'll hopefully get a bit easier. Like this is probably the hardest thing that we're going through now. Um, so yeah, very much that resilience mindset and attitude is what... Um, I think is favourable really Um, and obviously that cascades into different life um, aspects. I know there's a lot of university students who are very upset that you know they won't be graduating or they won't be having an end of year ball or prom and it's it's also reframing that and saying it's okay um, as long as we're we're healthy and we're safe Um, and often that it is difficult to say that sometimes to people who have really, really, um, you know, been super excited about things, but hopefully with that sort of mindset, things kind of, it helps to sort of settle things a little bit as well. Yeah, I think generically everywhere, I think slowly but surely people have accepted that nothing is in their control until COVID is in control. (laughs) Yeah. Um yeah. and it's it's taken a while for people to accept that. And I think there's still gonna be some adaptation to individuals, whatever age group they're in, to accept that. Cause there's mm-hmm. I think watching the news as well around children can really impact their learning development. 
um, but also the conversations that you're having within your house hold that they're picking up on snippets or um, certain words that you're using which is impacting their development as a young child and if they're not having that social development interactively whether virtually or in person the interaction that you're having with the people that you live with can impact them quite a lot so you would say it's it's important to make sure that there's regular activities and connection and communication and an understanding of what's going on around the house as well as in the world yeah yeah to a certain extent a lot of healthy conversations a lot of um treating children and young people as members of the family we are all in this together and having open questions where they have the opportunity to reflect on their emotions so I really think that daily check-ins are really essential and I think sometimes as silly as it sounds it's just that how are you feeling are you okay you know how do you feel um and yeah and then going through every emotion together I think um sometimes children might find it difficult that they can't go to the playground because it's closed and it's almost like okay let's talk it through like cry that's good let it out and let's talk about it afterwards or you know it's it's also putting yourself in in the children or the young person's shoes and situating why they might be behaving like that because often you know, even with teenagers sleeping in till about 12, one o'clock. To the one hand, okay, great. Um, okay, it, it, it's, it's not so great and they should be waking up and fulfilling the day. But on the other hand, we're in a really weird time and our bodies and our mind take time to adjust to things. So it's healthy that they're getting a few extra hours of sleep in because there's a lot of adjustment to go. So I think it's that sort of boundaries of of where we want to be a little bit more adaptable and accommodating. Um, And if there are certain trigger points where, okay, they're coming down at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, sleeping really late, behaviours that are, you know, out of the norm, then maybe those are are times for reflection where maybe parents should be promoting that sort of checking in, how are you feeling, what can we do? So lots of sort of open conversations and working with children um, alongside them to translate their emotions and their feelings because um, it is a time of uncertainty for everybody but if we reassure children that it's okay and it will be okay um, and even if it's not okay it'll still be okay it's that resilience mindset which will then be beneficial for future disappointments and difficulties as well. What um, Where could parents or um, young adults get support for for picking up for ways to communicate with family members or siblings or children mm-hmm. I think maybe online I'm not sure if there's any um, specific resources or websites but um, I could have a look I know there'd be online courses in sort of child development or parental courses um or even googling things like resilience what is resilience um I know there's a lot of literature on that or how do you think it'd be good for families to do some of the courses and like mindfulness and meditations and um you know all these free resources that are available and some as you mentioned earlier like youtube and pin interest there's a lot of available like self-care planners and activity planners how important is it for families to kind of put those routines into place now that they have the chance to because 
as you know, before everybody was really busy, they're working school, you know, school clubs and seeing friends socially. Now they have the time. How important do you think it is to take that time to do that? Yeah, definitely. I think now we've got the time is implementing something that's sustainable. So we'll do it now, but we'll keep it going and we will. And it will almost be that thing that carries us through. So I know, for example, there's someone I know who's doing a lot of gardening and they've brought specific things like um, potatoes or whatever that take X amount of weeks to grow. And I think it's going to be that transition period that, okay, week one, it was like this week two. And then it's almost like this thing that's grown in adversity that, wow, my potatoes that have grown like 10 weeks later, you know, when we were in isolation and quarantine sort of thing. Um, it's a family project and it's a way that we've got this collective interest and it's also a nice reflection point to say you know things grow time moves and progression happens over time so it's almost getting these um these things like for example family mindfulness family meditation um i know there's a lot of families that are doing different exercises together um it's, it's promoting that family um connection and family activities and hopefully th those routines will transition then through to when we finish it when we're out of this as well so yeah definitely i think now is um probably a critical and a, and a valuable point um or time to promote those little changes Growing something, especially gardening and potatoes, growing something that is a home essential, especially yeah. now, is yeah. quite quite an accomplishment for any sort of young child or even adult, really, because it's something that you're going to always need and you can continue growing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it can make it into a little project, like taking pictures every week or, you know, writing about it, researching different seeds, researching how much water to give it like there's lots to be learned and and to gain from it you can make it into a little project um so yeah i think turning everything into a learning opportunity even the littlest of things baking a cake okay let's do some maths in there let's do some english and write write the recipe out um turning little daily tasks into something that's lear like learning um and it, it, you don't have to be reinventing the wheel necessarily you know or, or teaching new content it's sometimes just checking in on those skills like times tables while you're you know having your dinner or something but just little things to keep children you know thinking of school and learning or you know or the content and um, but also having healthy relate um, healthy conversations um about things that you know they will you know soon this will this and this but not being too specific so we create an ideal so we can't say oh in three weeks this will all change and this will like go like this because we don't know but we do know at some time in the future things will get better um and let's just hold on to that hope really it could be quite hard for parents to kind of maintain that mentality of keeping um positive for children or for young adults and continuously support them how how can adults be supporting their mental health Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the very similar would apply to how we were saying for children and young people is checking in with friends and family virtually, keeping like a, a diary log, um, picking up a new hobby, like there's so much on YouTube you can learn, like 
even with stuff that you've got at home, like a new, you know, like hairstyles or how to cook different recipes and different things that you probably wouldn't have time to do before. And I also think that sometimes that keeping busy helps to, um, almost it's a, it's quite empowering for yourself because you're, you're learning new things and I think that's quite rewarding and um, so that might be advantageous um sort of carrying out your daily exercise um to keep sort of mind body element um healthy and yeah I think just talking and talking about your emotions and reflecting on what that emotion might mean or if you do feel a little bit down checking in with a friend and saying oh you know what I don't really know what's up today but I just feel like having a chat and I think if we open our open our space up to someone um then hopefully vice versa we'll have that relationship with somebody else so and it's healthy you might be able to re be um in touch with somebody you probably haven't spoken to properly for a couple of years being able to build bonds again so yeah I think where possible keep interacting with people virtually um, and talking about things um, and learning um, to keep busy how do you think um people who are working on the front line and are having to go into work day in day out and be exposed to um the virus and the work pace life level of constantly be on on the go how do you think those individuals will impact um their mental health but also the young adults mental health that they might be or should be living with mm -hmm. yeah it's a really tricky one because i think there's a lot of uncertainty and they're doing something obviously really amazing um i think again healthy conversations like two-way thing so if children have their concerns and if the adults have their concerns um and then maybe because of that uncertainty providing children with like a routine or a structure sometimes might help to reduce those anxieties by a little bit by saying okay I'm going away for work for this amount of time but I'll be back um and don't worry and then giving the the children or the young people some activities to do to maintain that structure um because often in in times of heightened stress sometimes I think the best way to support that might be is to promote some sort of structure or um some sort of thing that gives you some normality or something to focus on um because otherwise you can be quite busy then focusing on the things that make you feel a bit worried um but then also knowing that you can still translate the worry emotions and talk about them with somebody but then you're also being productive at the same time by learning something and keeping in a routine and sometimes that might help to give some focus to your life and um, or more so in the children and the young people's um perspective and almost helping them you know um it might it might just help situate things back into normality a little bit because they're probably quite worried and stressed for their parents do you think there's going to be a heightened um level of individuals accessing mental health services as soon as universities and schools and work is gradually being introduced again yeah so I, I have already heard um just through some individuals who I know who are lecturers that 
um, there has been an increase in students finding it difficult to submit their work, but universities are also doing what they can by um, providing extra time, um, deadlines for dissertations and reports and whatnot have been extended. Um, there are also staff members who are um, making themselves available to essentially check in with students and saying, you know, I'm here at hand if you need any support. So definitely um, there might be an increase, um, obviously because of, more so because of the change to normality. Any change in society to our daily routine and the extent of the change, which has been quite huge in, in our case here in the UK and the impact to obviously just our daily activities of leaving the house, of shopping, has been, is going to, probably have its impact um, but obviously there are measures in place that are helping students as well um, to hopefully ease that transition but you know hopefully we can we can um, be available at hand for, for, for any support that's required but um, I do think universities are, are trying their best um, and schools you know where possible as well to sort of um, still be in contact with students so by sending them work and also reassuring them that it will be okay and I think it's that reassurance element that's really positive. So it's really important for students as well as whoever they may be in connection with is to vocalise whether in verbally or in written form what they are feeling and what they are struggling with in order to get across how they, they need to manage their workload or their, their, their stresses or their anxieties. And that key point, as you said, is communication and talking. Yeah. Great, perfect. Um, well, it's been really, really, really um, amazing to have this conversation with you and all your tips. Is there anything that you would like to say to anyone listening to this podcast or any supports or tips you would like to give? Um, definitely, I think um, promoting those, um, it's that sort of it's okay mentality and it will be okay and having open conversations and talking um, and that how do you feel or are you okay is something that I try and do with every family member in my house um, and, and, and with friends as well and just being able to just check in and um, yeah and I think it's sometimes easier sending a voice now I think they're really cool um, because it's kind of a short Thing, but it's probably not as long as a conversation so just little things about utilizing technology to make sure you're connected and you're making others feel connected as well but yeah definitely just obviously keeping positive and resilient where possible but hopefully we can all get through this together so thank you for having me thank you for coming on board of this podcast it's been really um insightful and there's so much more that we can do as collectively as you said that we can try and support one another um, in such an uncertain time. Thank you again, Jodhi. And um, hopefully we can do more together in the future. Brilliant, thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Jaspreet Tahara. Please tell us a, a bit more about what you do and your role as a psychologist. Okay, um, so I'm a counselling psychologist, um, currently based in a prison and I work with uh, young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 who have uh, antisocial personality issues. 
And on top of that, I also work in a private practice. So I have private clients that I see um, more locally. And how has um, COVID-19 impacted you personally, but also your job role working within a prison? As it's a, a Ministry of Justice role, um, there is a joint uh, working partnership with the NHS and we've actually been told that we're not allowed on site. So all the work that we've been doing so far in terms of client work um, has ceased um, and we are keeping in contact via email and sort of telephone calls every now and then. Um, more emails than, than telephone calls, to be honest. Um, and that's to do with how the how the prison system is set up. Um, we The way our service is situated is that we sit between um, a team of prison officers and the prisoners and um, we work with both sides of both sides of the team um, both sides of the, the the wing I should say um, in order to try and facilitate a good psychological environment um, in order to uh, facilitate growth and change in the uh, prisoners before they get released how is how has that impacted your em, employment? Um, in terms of employment, because we're not allowed on site, um, we're actually working from home at the moment. So before we left, we knew uh, things were starting to develop at the end of February. And so before we were informed that we weren't sort of able to go back on site uh, in mid-March, we came up with a plan um, and an idea of what we wanted to do during the time away from the prison. And we looked at things that we wanted to develop as a team in terms of service. And so we have used our time away from the prison in order to research and develop elements of the service moving forward. So that when we, when we are eventually able to go back into the, the prison, we can hit the ground running. Within your um, clients that you have privately, Mm-hmm. How has their mental health um, changed due to COVID-19? Has that impacted them negatively or are they still making progress in in their plan of recovery? Uh, so with regards to uh, the private clients that I'm seeing, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of fluctuation with regards to um, how it's worked uh, just due to issues around sort of personal privacy. Um, not being able to come into the office and speak to you in a one-to-one capacity um, really ha- um, had a detrimental effect on on their uh, their privacy, and they felt as though they weren't able to to continue sessions uh, in any sort of capacity from home due to the relative situations that were that they were in. Um, of the clients who who have continued working uh, with me, we are now working sort of via Skype, and it relatively it's been going quite well. There's been a, I think there's been a lot of anxiety around um, things moving forward, so people are planning what to do once, say for example, their furlough periods have ended, um, or if they're not able to work from home, um, how that's going to affect them. Do you think? There's a lot been going around on social media or in reports that after COVID that a lot of relationships are going to be on the brink of breaking down due to the amount of time spent at home. What are your (laughs) thoughts on that? 
relatively um i suppose it's the same with a lot of things you you don't really hear about the things that go right you hear a lot about the things that go wrong so i i do see sort of online discourses around oh you know people's relationships are going to break up and uh, people aren't going to do very well and they're not they're not sort of looking out for each other or looking out for themselves and as a result of that relationships become fractured and people because as you you were alluding to in the earlier question you get time away from each other you have time for your own space your own interactions your own thoughts feelings things that can be going on for you um all of a sudden all that's been constricted so you are now stuck in sort of relative isolation with people who you may have an ongoing issue with and that could amplify the situation that you're in right now um to the point where it's it's going to be detrimental to your relationship and it might break up um i think you will hear a lot about that but what you won't hear is about the relationships that actually strengthen because people will just be getting on with it and i think there's a negativity bias that goes on it's a it's kind of a similar thing with people who you know unfortunately suffer great losses through for example pregnancy issues and and so on and so forth we hear a lot about that but you don't hear so much about the number of pregnancies that go quite well or, or births that go quite well you know and quite rightly people people are dealing with negative issues they're dealing with losses and grief and and those things aren't to be minimized in any way shape or form but it's just to place a bit of context that um a relative majority of people will go through life sort of not having those issues there's so, not enough about the positivity that people experience than yeah compared to the negativity that shared especially with yeah. the current situation about COVID-19 mm-hmm. the amount of probably fake news and various news channels reporting COVID constantly around whichever country or city or town mm-hmm. has been affected by it there's mm-hmm. there's too much of that that's probably impacting a lot of people's mental health for the negative reasons yeah I mean um things like having a rolling 24-hour news on constantly and you have a you have a revolving death number that keeps going up and up and up is not conducive to people's mental health it's not positive for people's mental health um so so there are things about sort of taking regular breaks from those types of things um going out re-engaging with nature um you know like people are allowed to go out and walks despite what is going on in terms of um, you can look at sort of police reports and certain people are being um, targeted um, and being told to go back home and so on and so forth. But relatively, a lot of people are able to go out for a, a daily walk and so on and so forth. There's a lot of people reconnecting with nature. So that's also an element of what's going on sort of in terms of in online discourses, online talking. Um, people are sort of highlighting that actually, you know, I'm able to go out for a walk. I'm able to go out with the kids. I'm able to go out with my partner. We're allowed to uh, go for our sort of daily allowed walk or allowance of walk. Um, we're reconnected with nature in, in instances where you're able to, you know. Um, people are having time to be able to sit and think about um, elements of life that maybe they didn't have the opportunity to previously. So there was, there's a lot of sort of, I see a lot of sort of connection with people as well. It's not, it's not so, so much about the negative of what's going on in life. Tell us, what are your views with regards to um, how South Asian families are now going to respond to COVID-19's impact to them as families? Is is it something that 
where communication about mental health is now openly going to be discussed within families or do you still think it's going to be a taboo? My hope is that it's something that would be discussed in families. Um, I can't, I can't, I think the issue or the difficulty that I have is that I can't envision it being a problem in terms of uh, people discussing issues of mental health, but I think that's got more to do with um, sort of my own understanding and my own sort of personal history around discussing mental health in families. It's not something that relatively we've shied away from. Um, but I also understand and hold some understanding that a lot of people still can't talk about things. Do you think more more families would be willing to talk about the struggles that they're experiencing now? So say things like enhanced stresses in their lives due to financial worries or anxieties they're going through, um, being in spaces where they had to be over a period of time, because most people use leaving the house as a way to deal as a coping mechanism um but now they probably don't have that opportunity to do that do you think now families might be a bit more welcoming to have that conversation maybe so not so much about the real taboo subjects within our culture again I think my my hope would be that maybe some people can use this time to uh, reflect a little bit on some of those some of those stresses that have been going on in life and now that things have slowed down or we've had a time to slow down together um, those channels of communication can open up I would hope that you know in the main that that's that is what happens for people I think that as a psychologist we would see people who may have interpersonal issues to the point where that's not possible and that this the, the fact that lockdowns going on could exacerbate those issues, um, could ex- sort of make those problems worse. Um, but my hope would be that uh, as people have had time um, to sit and think about how they go about communicating with each other, that would be a sort of a catalyst for change. If they don't have that relationship within family members within their household what Mm. kind of tips or what kind of tools could they use especially around this time where they do have maybe more time at home to reflect what tools do you think would be good for them I think some of the big the big issue that you have in that is um, people need to maybe spend some time understanding what it is that causes the deficit in not being able to talk to family because if you can if you can understand what the deficit is, uh, then you can start to address it and you can start to understand that. If, say, for example, there are issues around how people go about talking to each other, how they go about relating to each other, you know, is that is that an issue of listening um, as opposed to talking? You know, if people aren't actively listening to one another to try and sort of um, to engage and understand what the other person is saying um, then it becomes very very difficult to to sort of engage in any sort of meaningful work in that way. Do you think now would be a good time for people to learn skills like that where courses and materials are available online so learning to listen actively and communicate with one another learn skills about themselves and enhancing their abilities in order to not just support themselves but support others yeah absolutely uh, there's no time like the present 
you know um at time of recording we've got another three weeks so um we have to you know um i think in terms of people can sort of uh self-actualize quite well um in the main i think you know d- d- deficits or problems in self-actualization are, are kind of what lead people to go to go seek psychotherapy or to go and seek therapeutic intervention um you know and part of the skill or part of the job is about trying to help people understand and facilitate those techniques within themselves um but for the majority of people absolutely things like trying to understand um transactional analysis is is a big one i think transactional analysis of how you go about communicating with people you know who's what message are you relaying to people who's hearing it how are they hearing it um you know is the message being confused is there you know are you checking in to make sure that the person that you're sending the message to is receiving it correctly you know do they understand what you're actually trying to say to them and then as a result of that what's coming back at you are you also engaged in that same process you know are are you listening intently and trying to hear the nuances and what people are saying to you um and are you acting on that appropriately you know, th- these are some of the things that maybe will um, become apparent, for example, when people are taking some of these shorter courses, um, you know, in terms of how you go about listening, active listening. How do you think um, frontline and key workers are feeling right now? What kind of mental health state do you think they're at at this moment in time? Oh, this is an interesting one. Um <laughs> I've got friends who are frontline workers and a lot of them are feeling abandoned and distraught and upset with the way the current situation is panning out for them. Um, it's very difficult for a lot of people. Um, I, I used to work in a mental health team, in a community mental health team, and all of them have been sort of redeployed back into the uh, hospital services. And it's a it's a change of role for a lot of them because they were community based rather than being hospital award based. Um, but also there's there's like a dual understanding of risk, which is a, I mean when you work in a community, you there is a lot more in terms of risk variables, um, and in terms of a pandemic, you would be going into people's homes, and there's a lot of risk around. Well, where has this person been? You know, um, have they been maintaining? Um, social isolation or isolation um, you know are, am I, are we going to pick up sicknesses or are we going to pick up COVID from the outside so there's a lot of that anxiety that's going on there but conversely being moved into a ward situation in a hospital where there are people with COVID coming in because that's that's the nature of what's going on people are so unwell that they're ending up in hospital now you're at risk of exposure to COVID, they're actually probably at a higher risk of exposure in the hospital system than you are in the community. Um, so there's a lot of anxiety there around uh, essentially put, being put sort of in, in danger in a frontline situation. Do you think they're going to have increased mental health um, issues um, or conditions after COVID is going to slowly, hopefully, die down and we find a way to control it 
Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of struggle moving forward. Um, right now, part of my role has been about trying to preempt what's going on in the future. Um, trying to think about what's going to happen moving forward. Um, and I'm looking sort of six months to a year down the line, maybe two years down the line, uh, where you will start to see the traumatic events playing out in sort of healthcare workers, frontline workers, care home staff uh, who will survive. Um, you know, they're going to have watched people um, die, a lot of them. Um, maybe some of them are going to have battled uh, coronavirus themselves or COVID-19 themselves um, and also there are going to be people who lose colleagues and friends and that's going to be absolutely massively impactful sorry there's a fire alarm going off um, yeah there's so there's going to be a lot of, in terms of um, trying to help people go through that trying to help people understand what this whole thing has brought about because I think a lot of this is about existential threat so there's going to be a lot around death and loss and what it means for, you know, um, people who are relatively healthy um, to have passed away, people who who are taken before their time. You know, it, contrary to the reports, it's not just the like, especially the reports that came out at the beginning. It's not just the elderly who are at risk of COVID. It's anyone who's had an increased exposure to it, anyone who's got any underlying health conditions, and you're seeing people. Um, sort of as young as that 13 year old who passed away, you know, and, and that's horrific, things like that. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot around loss and grief and um, a lack of closure that I can foresee going forward. So there are going to be major issues in terms of that going forward. There's also going to be things around people's anxieties. Um, we don't know if there's going to be a second or third wave of this moving like going forward. Some countries already talking about second or third wave in relation to what happened with SARS um, there was a second wave Ebola's just sort of come back you know apart from um, the um, can't remember the country in Africa that that, that sort of said that they, they've had their first new case of Ebola after almost practically getting rid of it it was almost it was almost eradicated and now it's back so you are looking at sort of second and third waves of this that are going to go on moving forward and the fact that we are in lockdown when we weren't sort of with SARS or Ebola um, kind of in, is indicative of how powerful this this sickness is, this disease is. Do you think like now people have more of an awareness around personal hygiene and hygiene in general? Do you think that's going to impact their mental health? It's quite interesting because I was looking at some of the research on this and it shows that... Um, people's anxiety levels around this have actually gone down and that was something oh, that was wow. that was quite surprising because it's um for multiple reasons because there have been some qualitative research on this um but some of the some of the reasons behind it are sort of vindication people people are like actually we were right we were right all along so and that sort of seems to have reduced people's anxiety and i i, I say that with a sort of smile on my face because i find that quite not funny, funny's not the right way of putting it, but it is quite um it's quite sort of ironic that people who have who have sort of um hygiene anxieties and things around you know how am I going to protect myself and sort of my health and um 
you, you know, I'll go through sort of some of these uh, practices around washing and, and so on and so forth. Um, they've kind of had a bit of a vindication in that actually, yeah, certain things are out of sort of uh, control to the point where you do, you may need to wash your hands multiple times a day, you know, in, in order to sort of, uh, in order to sort of protect yourself. So for some people, for some people, they found that as like, it's actually quite liberatory and their sense of anxiety following it has gone down because this is about sort of, um, you know, and I don't mean this to sound detrimental in any way, but it's like previously there's a sense of acting, acting abnormally when you should be acting normally. Whereas this is acting absolutely normally right now. So the logic okay. behind it sort of, alleviates a lot of that anxiety and that's what come, some of the research has been showing this actually you know in what, a sense of it what they were doing before covid yeah. is now normal yeah and so so that and sense of anxiety they don't need to validate hmm. and then you don't need to sit there and go actions. actually yeah i don't need to i don't, don't need to say oh you know i'm washing my hands repeatedly throughout the day because everyone's washing their hands repeatedly throughout the day there is a lot around practice of um, things that I've been looking into, but a practice around how to safely put a mask on and take a mask off with regards to hygiene practices. So going forward from this, we may be in a position, we probably will be, it's pretty, like, I'm pretty assured that we're going to be in a situation where if we're going to start going out now, we're going to start needing masks um, in very much the same way that you would have seen it sort of in the news reports from, from Southeast Asia. You know, so so when you see news reports of like Japan and China, people are traveling. You know, some of that is about is about the uh, pollution, um, mm. but some of it was around health risk as well. And it's about that mentality of if I'm wearing a face mask and you're wearing a face mask, there are two barriers. So quite you know similar to what we were talking about earlier on about transmission and reception in people's language and how people are talking, we can also sort of think about that in terms of transmission and reception of virus of 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 uh say for example covid in this in this instance but the idea behind that if there are two barriers um then it's doubly difficult for the virus to transmit you know if you have a cough or a cold you're wearing that mask oh. so that you don't transmit that cough or cold so it's, it's about you know it's about getting out that man it's about not getting out but changing a mentality of um i'm wearing a face mask to protect me it's not about that it's about i'm wearing a face mask to protect other people to like if i have a cough or cold or symptoms that i don't want to transmit that to other people you know yeah. so it's about getting that getting out of that it sort of um uh, the, the getting out of that mentality where it's about me and my protection but actually starting to think about it as it's me protecting everybody else do you think a lot more people are thinking like that now though because of the situation they're in there there's more concern and um kindness in community and what we're doing for others not just for ourselves because of what we're going through at the moment i think so and i hope so uh something that really strikes me is the way sort of my brother my brother is involved in sort of lungas mm. and uh he he's been involved in it and the, the fundraising drive that they've done in terms of uh, being able to get food and stuff out, you know, they're still doing their, their homeless, um, they're still doing the homeless longer. 
um, but they're also they've extended that to they're, they're going and doing uh, food drop-offs at, at hospitals and bits and pieces like that as well so they've extended what they're doing in terms of in terms of giving pra giving practice you know um, and they've really spent time thinking about how they're going to do that so they wear masks and gloves and bits and pieces while they're doing that food prep and all that sort of stuff because they don't want to transmit anything or pick up anything and they and they just they've been really sort of mindful about their practice about how they've gone about doing it they've been really present with it and gone right okay how do we now plan moving forward how to do this and how to deliver it to people and they've been really engaged in that and it's been amazing to see it you know um and so these these things about sort of communal pickups and drop-offs and you're seeing um people engaging online and sort of um doing community-based works in terms of there are a group of people who have uh they, they will go about leafleting and say you know if you need to be in touch if you're feeling isolated if you're not able to get to the shops here's a number you can contact here's an emergency line we will come we will deliver things to you as long as it's safe to do so so uh, there's a lot more in terms of that and definitely in terms of the Sikh community or the Sikh community i can definitely see how um we've sort of rallied in order to engage with people yeah definitely yeah there has been an an increase of not just the support through Gordware, but um communities supporting making food and doing drop-offs and mm -hmm. supporting the community not just for providing food but providing support mm. um for one another mm. um and i think that's where community has kind of we've all really acknowledged and engaged with we're all in this together mm -hmm. and what you're feeling we're feeling too and yeah. there's no barriers in what your wealth is what color you are where you're from where you live mm. it can just happen and i think more people are beginning to acknowledge that now yeah i mean i mean to a degree this is a this is a relatively great leveler um in that anybody can catch it and you're seeing people from all walks of life catching it um mm. and it can cause some serious damage to people people who you would think wouldn't wouldn't normally receive it i think the things that really interested me were things like um where certain footballers caught it mm. and uh they were you know there was one gentleman i think he played for northampton fc that he was in trouble um, they put him on a ventilator for a few days, you know, and that's someone who's relatively fit and healthy. He's a 20 something year old football player, but it's just interesting how it's affecting so many different people with regards to how people are being able to self isolate. Um, obviously there are socioeconomic factors involved in that. So people who, who can't um, isolate from their families very well are going to have a higher increased chance of passing it on to other people. And then you've got, so I'm thinking of people who maybe live in like one bedroom flats or two bedroom flats and there's a family of four or five, you know, mm. if you're in a situation where you have to self-isolate, how do you take one room out of commission when the other room is the living room? So everyone's got to go live in the living room or, mm. you know, so, so in some ways, yes, it's a great leveler in, in the fact that, um, in the fact that anyone can get it and it can cause untold damage to anybody because we we're hearing so much about it from different people um but in other ways it it exacerbates and highlights the existing problems that are in sort of society 
do you think um that there's a an increase in more BME individuals dying from coronavirus than than those not part of the BME community? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think this ties into again to the socioeconomic factors, but um, there's also the the things about um, intergenerational living. So the mm. fact that uh, lots of us live with sort of older family members, um, there might be three generations of family living in one home. That's not unheard of. It's it's very common in South Asian families. Uh, mm. Two two weeks ago, they were talking about twenty five percent of the death rate were elderly Muslim. Um, elderly Muslims who were who were exposed to coronavirus through either their children or their children's children you know mm. so you've got their grandkids sort of living at home and that was two weeks ago that was 25% of the death rate and they and people were really worried about that um you know that number increasing sort of rapidly and exponentially but that's not just limited to muslim families that is you know there's a lot of south asian families like that so it's not just limited to muslims it's, it, you know there's sikhs hindus and sort of jains christians buddhist families you know all sort of from south asian backgrounds because that is a cultural thing that goes on yeah i think there's been a few conversations that we've had in the past um a couple of weeks with other other individuals where because they're living at home with mother yeah. or father-in-laws or grandparents mm -hmm. that they've had to opt for either working on furlough or working from home mm. um, on a, a longer period of time even when the lockdown is lifted because mm. of the people they live with yeah. because they live with vulnerable adults I think we mm. touched upon this earlier is that some of us within the household may not be vulnerable adults or at risk of um, contracting it um, but if those who can go back to work or can um, do their day to day, they're still putting those in their household at risk mm. because again, some people might just be carriers. Mm. Um, there is that element of how diseases and illnesses work. Some people mm -hmm. are just carriers of, mm. of, of an illness or a disease and you could just pass it on to those you live with or those you are in contact with and again it comes back to how do you how do you impact social distancing within your house mm, if you live absolutely. with one if you live in a confined space or as mentioned like a two-bedroom apartment or mm. flat um, but even when you're living in a three-bedroom house you know if you need to make some food or if you need to use the bathroom or, or what level of extreme um deep cleaning or Mm. Um, mm. keeping yourself safe and self-isolating can someone impact within a house yeah i mean the government advice was is people need to use different bathrooms that's very difficult when you've only got one bathroom yes you know? <laughs> <laughs> so like... it becomes it becomes impossible you know like, what, what does that mean for you as a person who's sick do you go and use the bathroom do you then have to be the one that cleans it or does someone else come in and clean it and how are they going to go about cleaning it do they get a face mask and and sort of rubber gloves and bleach now where'd you get a face mask from you know what can you what can you do in terms of uh having a mask i mean i, I on my twitter account there's i've put up a video numerous times or retweeted the same video numerous times about how people can make their own face masks at home mm. so you can have a homemade face mask that will last up to about three hours and it has relatively good um 
good short-term effects. So um, the idea is that you use a bandana, a coffee filter, and two rubber bands or two hair mm. bands, and you can sort of fold it in a way that you don't need to stitch anything. You yeah. can just make you can just make a mask, and it will sit relatively flush to your face for a while, um, and that has a sort of three-hour capacity. So you may be able to do that. So if you as a sick person might be the one that has to wear them all the time. Do you you see what I mean? Mm. In order to stop the transmission going out to other people. But then somebody's got, you know, how do you go about washing them then? If that's the case, if you're going to use a bandana or like a ramal, like you could use a ramal and fold a ramal. If if you've got ramal sort of like lying around at home that you can co-opt and use, who's going to go about washing them? Uh, you know are you going to get up out of bed and put the washing machine on and then someone else has got to come down and wipe down the washing machine you know all these all these sorts of uh systematic things that you need to put into place when you're thinking about how you um sterilize an area you know these are things that people aren't necessarily going to be thinking about in their day-to-day lives um you know because you're not you're not sort of experts in those things and you're not expected to be an expert in those things how do you even become an expert in something that's never happened before? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, where are you going to get the soap from? You know, mm. <laughs> you know, all the hand sanitizer and everything is gone. What do you think the government could do to to support our our mental health or everybody's mental health going forward? Be honest. That's t- sorry. Sorry to be so flippant. Um, I think <laughs> I think honesty honesty is severely lacking in this government. Um, on that note, is there anything that you would like to say to those listening into the podcast and seeking help or support during this time that they might be struggling with? Yeah, sure. Um, whatever you're feeling is normal right now if you are feeling anxiety you have every right to feel anxiety if you're feeling despondent you're absolutely right to feel despondent um if you're feeling happy um and more connected you have every right to feel that as well also you know on the other side of it we have to take that into account that some people for some people this is going to be the best situation that they've had in a long time you know in terms of their personal connections and relationships with people um there's going to be sort of lots of growth in that regard. So absolutely, just just as much as some people have every right to feel anxious or low or uh, depressed or sort of despondent, there are going to be other people who are also feeling happy, um, positive, and um, as though sort of like their life situations are working in their benefit. So um, as a result of sort of shutdown and furlough. Um, So, just to, I mean for me I have to hold all those various tensions in mind um so whatever you're feeling right now is perfectly fine you know good or bad and and that can also fluctuate so you know there are going to be days when you're going to be feeling better than not and that's absolutely fine as well everything is normal you know every single way you're thinking and feeling right now is normal thank you for joining us today um Jasper and we really appreciate you taking part in a seat forgiveness podcast with me and and for everybody listening we hope yeah. you enjoyed it and thank you so much i did i loved it it's, it's a bit strange being on this side of it but <laughs> <laughs> if you've
enjoyed this podcast and would like to donate to Sick Forgiveness, we'd normally ask you to donate at ko-fi.com forward slash sickforgiveness for £3. But we're currently raising money for a book, so please find the link in the show notes and donate at the GoFundMe page. Sick Forgiveness have a target of £5,000 to reach in order to get this book to publication and all donations help. Please share the link and donate if you can. Thank you.